can turn to Psalm 95, and we will take our message this day from this psalm. We'll just title it Thanksgiving. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Let us pray. Holy Father, we're so grateful that you are still speaking today by your word and by your spirit. I pray, Father, that you would incline our ears, that you would grant hearing this day, maybe to some who are dead that need to be awakened. May you, Lord, regenerate souls this day to hear the glorious, wonderful things that we can't help but give thanks for. I pray, Lord, that you would bless your word in this time we have now to worship you in preaching. In Christ's name, amen. Thanksgiving. What is Thanksgiving? Well, it's a holiday, and it's an expression of worship. The first Thanksgiving holiday proclamation, official proclamation, was made in June 20th of 1676, even though the practice of Thanksgiving had been going on for a long time. It's been going on, a long, on as long as the people of God have been on earth. In June, on June 20th in 1676, the Governing Council of Charleston, Massachusetts held a meeting to determine how best to express thanks for the good fortune they had had in having their community securely established. And by unanimous vote, they were instructed by Edward Rawson, the clerk, to proclaim June the 29th as the day of Thanksgiving our first. So that was the first official day of Thanksgiving. We celebrate now the Thanksgiving in the fall, which was established later. It moved to the fall. But what we know of as the first Thanksgiving is the one where the pilgrims gathered together with the Native Americans for a three-day feast that was celebrated in early November of 1621, 50 years before that official proclamation. By the mid-17th century... The custom was established to have this on the day that we now observe it in November. 
and the festivals first started in New England, but then they spread throughout the South. And the first official proclamation of November being the day for Thanksgiving was made on November the 1st, 1777 by Samuel Adams. And it was a one sentence of 360 words. So I won't read it. So that was the holiday. The holiday, though, came out of this natural expression to God for Thanksgiving. And the place where we see this established in Scripture, the first place we see Thanksgiving mentioned, is in Leviticus in chapter 7. In Leviticus chapter 7, in this section of Scripture in Leviticus, we have the sacrifices that were being established by direct communication of God to Moses, to the people, to be conducted in the tabernacle that was established by God for his worship. In Leviticus 7 and verse 11, we read of the peace offering. And this is the last offering that was established. This is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offering, which he shall offer unto the Lord if he offer it for a thanksgiving. And then in verse 13, he says, Besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering leavened bread, with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. So thanksgiving is almost synonymous with the peace offering. Why is that? Well, God has established the law of the burnt offering, the meat offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, offerings of consecration. And then finally, the last offering established was the sacrifice of the peace offering. What is the peace offering, brothers and sisters? Jesus Christ is the peace offering. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice of the peace offering. And for those of you who know that Christ and the depth of the leprosy of your heart that it was impossible for you to deal with, that he has dealt with that through the blood of Christ, there is nothing more fitting that we can bring to him in this peace offering but thanksgiving called the sacrifice of thanksgiving in the new testament this sacrifice of thanksgiving we bring is everything i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice the Christ who made his body a sacrifice for us now brings forth the desire that we do the same that we lay down our bodies a living sacrifice and so this realization in the awakened hearts of the, the pilgrims who came here set forth this great tradition that we have, my favorite holiday, because it comes from a Christian tradition. 
was that natural expression of thankfulness from, from being delivered from the oppression of religious institutions in England. And then they escaped to Holland for 12 years and finally here. And that first year they came here and half of everybody who came over died in the first winter. They, and just think, even in all of that suffering, after God had established them here, they were grateful and thankful that God had delivered them here because they had a vision that was bigger than just one winter and one winter of suffering. They had a bigger vision for generations of believers that might be raised up to sacrifice unto Christ, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And that came true in this land, did it not? And we today are gathered here today to continue that great tradition of thanksgiving to the Lord God Almighty. So true thanksgiving can only be performed by those who know Christ by faith. Because it's only when you understand the depth from which you were dug and the freeness of the gift, the magnificent freeness of the gift, the thanksgiving is in direct proportion to the greatness of the gift. How great is the gift? And so our thanksgiving should be, it's impossible, but it should be in proportion to the greatness of free grace. Hallelujah. Amen. So today I just want to call you to the worship of Yahweh in joyful singing with thanksgiving. We'll take a look at uh, four points today. And uh, I've combined a couple of those that I sent out earlier in the email. So the first thing we'll take a look at is the call to thanksgiving in this song. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. And then he says again, let us come in verse 2 and in verse 6, O come. Three times we are given the command. This is an imperative to come. This is the call to thanksgiving. And in all of this, in verse 2 it says to come with thanksgiving. We are called to worship and singing and joy with thanksgiving. And you can't separate any of these, right? So these, this is all the overflowing of joy and delight in this worship of thanksgiving. This imperative, this come, oh come, means excite your attention. Wake up. The time is here. This has the idea of a, a command to an action. To move toward, to advance nearer. Come. Come, let us sing. Come, let us worship. Advance near to this one who has saved us. Thanksgiving, true gratitude, is the spring in our step towards Messiah. Come and sing before his presence. Come worship. All of this with thanksgiving. And isn't that what we've been doing? Have you been singing with joy this morning? Have you been singing because you love him and you're overcome that you have been awakened from death to life? 
that you might know the one who is seated in power right now on the right hand of God. This call, this come, is a come to worship. And I know we use that word worship a lot. What is it to worship? What is this command to? Whatever you do with your desire is what you worship. God made you in his image. Just like the old kings of Egypt, anytime they conquered a land, they would go raise up images of themselves in these lands so that everywhere they went, the people could see their image and might glory in their king. God has a planet filled with about close to 9 billion now images of himself that should all be to the glory of the creator. Every one of these made in God's image has this great ability to love. And what we love shows whether we be in Christ or not. What are you doing with your desire? We think back each week we come here. I've often said we come here to be recovered out of the deceitfulness of sin. To be undeceived a little bit every week. We need to come here so that we can be told again and again. We've got this great ability to desire. And that desire is an affront to God if you desire little things rather than the glorious thing you were made to desire. Your love was made in such a way that it is to be expanded ever increasingly over all eternity to the infinite Godhead. This God who has offered you perfection in infinity. If you turn away from that perfection with your heart, your desire, your love to love little things, especially yourself, then you are ignoring him and you're going in the opposite way that is best for you. So this worship that we are called, come, let us worship. Come, let us sing. Come, let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation with thanksgiving. This is the call to take this ability to love and to desire and to put it on what is best, what is the most glorious, perfection itself in the person of Jesus Christ. We notice here that the psalmist began in this place already, right? I mean, when he, when he starts out, he's bursting over with desire and joy and happiness in Christ. In fact, when you read these psalms, let me tell you something that's very helpful for you when you read a psalm. Read these psalms as if Christ was speaking it. Here Christ comes and says, Come, come with me. I command you to come with me to sing and to worship God the Father. Come. He's already in that place as he breaks out in this grand and glorious psalm here. This is a psalmist that understands the peace offering. Christ is the peace offering. He is offered. He is raised. He is seated in his finished work. 
To know true thanksgiving is to know the depths of our sin and what we have been saved from and to. You must know the misery of sin and failure. You've got to know that. <clears throat> Sometimes, again and again, the Lord in mercy lets us fail so that we might flee to Him. So that we might flee to Him. So this thanksgiving, this call to thanksgiving, is a call to express our gratitude to the great God of all glory. Are you obeying that command? The command is a call to come with singing and joy. Singing and joy will be our second point. Praise to the Lord Almighty, O King of creation. O my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear now to His temple draw near, join Him in glad adoration. We have so many hymns that are so wonderful to sing unto our great God in adoration and thanksgiving. And so we come singing in joy with thanksgiving. O come, let us sing, let us make a joyful noise, and make a joyful noise is repeated again in the second verse. So three times we have this command to come with singing and making joyful noise with psalms. With thanksgiving. So when you know peace, you'll sing. Isn't that right? Paul tells us there in Romans 5 and 1, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. There's nothing more precious than have a conscience that's washed. From not having peace to having peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And rejoice, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is what brings forth this singing. That we have this peace. To know that in our hearts. And it just it spills over out of a heart that's filled with joy and understanding. And wisdom. Let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise. He's here commanding us to go with him to have the deepest longing of our heart satisfied with a consecration of love. Is your deepest longing satisfied? God has given us so many ways to understand satisfaction, hadn't he? Every day that we eat and we're satisfied and we receive the pleasure from that, that's a sermon, a mini sermon saying there is a better meal with an eternal satisfaction so that you don't ever have to eat again. Isn't that what Christ told the woman at the well? He said, I got a water, woman. You drink this water? It'll be bubbling up in your soul forever. This is what brings forth this joy and singing that rings out and causes us to sing out. So what is that desire of your heart? What is it that causes you to sing? 
What is it to sing? Isn't this a wonderful thing to sing? The idea to be overcome here in our text. We're so overcome with emotion. Were any of you here overcome with emotion? With tears this morning and singing? It means to shout for joy, to ring out, to sing out. Joe overflowing, joy overflowing out of our heart in thanksgiving. Do you ever find yourself singing spontaneously? you ever walk outside and sing that song, For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies? Christ our Lord, to you we raise. This our hymn of grateful praise. Joyful noise. What's the difference between joyful noise here and sing? Joyful noise is a war cry, a shout in triumph. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. That shout right there is the same word, joyful noise. This is the same word in Joshua 6.16 when they were walking around and they shouted out loud, and the walls of Jericho fell to rubble. Brothers and sisters, all of the obstacles in our lives can be overcome through singing to Christ in joy with thanksgiving. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. So what is joy? Singing is this expression. It's a shout of a war cry. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? One of the first fruits. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. Joy is a delight in the mind from the consideration of present and future good. Joy is something that comes spontaneously out of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you ever have that? Even in the midst of pain and suffering, you can have this joy bubble up in, inside of you. That's the difference between pleasure and joy. This week we have had a great feast, haven't we? And I hope you've been able to look at that feast and say, this is the feast we have in Christ. But you know in this world, what happens when you feast and feast and feast and feast? You get miserable. What happens if you binge watch things? What happens if you overconsume in this world? It has a deadening effect on spiritual reality. And eating too much has a deadening effect on the appetite so that you get to a place where you don't even, you're not even hungry anymore, right? And we don't know what true hunger is sometimes. But let me tell you something. In Christ Jesus, there is a feast here where you are not called to temperance, but you are called to feast on Christ forevermore. This joy in singing, this war cry of triumph is the triumph of knowing that Jesus Christ has satisfied the deepest longing of our heart. 
and the joy we feel in Christ is a joy that is just an appetizer for the feast to come. It's like smelling the steak cooking on the grill or the cookies baking in the oven. We, that's the joy that's welling up now in spiritual exercises like in the morning when you take the word and you get your cup of coffee. Oh, there's nothing like that. And it's just the aroma. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be there with him? Oh, I look forward to that day. I think we see in the world how powerful singing is. The world worships singers. You ever heard of American Idol? Or The Voice? I enjoy watching a good singer. I do. I enjoy seeing an image-bearing creature with this soul that's going to live forever, that's been given this talent by God to resonate with beauty and pain and joy and love in front of people. And if y'all seen any of those clips and you see this person sitting there and that resonance takes place and the sound goes forth and you see this whole coliseum of people stand up and clap, and you see some of them weeping, and you see them smiling and rejoicing in joy. That's what worship looks like. The sad thing in that is their worship terminates on the person. Their worship terminates in the gift given and not the giver of the gift. There's a deep longing in everybody. As you see in that performance, everybody wants to be filled with joy. They want to rejoice and they come to those places and they go to those shows and they watch the clips on YouTube. Because they want their heart to be filled with joy and singing. Brothers and sisters, only those in Christ can experience that in reality with a proper focus. And I see that and I think, you know, sometimes I think they're putting us to shame. Do we come in here and sing with the same passion? As an unbeliever singing up there so that they can get money and be worshipped? Do we sing with the same passion? Are we affected in the same way that unbelievers are in the presence of singing? We should be. And I'm not saying it should be a total unrestrained, but there is a joy that we should experience in worship. Is your heart filled and overflowing with gratitude for Christ's work. Why not? If it's not. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the first fruit of joy, and you are commanded to stir that up. The old writers would say, you need to improve your graces. Where God gives grace... We are to stir it up through prayer and meditation and singing. 
So let us stir up this great gift we are given to have a tongue to be able to sing and to be able to praise Him. The third thing is the presence in thanksgiving. He says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. The third point is the presence in thanksgiving. Why before His presence with thanksgiving? What is this presence? We have done some studies on the fear of God. Where we tried to understand a little bit more. What does it mean to fear God? And we learned in that that it's not a sinful fearing and terror where we flee from Him. But it's a kind of pleasure, pleasurable fear that draws us toward Him in a kind of trembling pleasure of expectation. A tempered terror and the ecstasy of joy. To come into the presence. We see this in the Old Testament. There was the place designated for God's presence. Which now is in you if you know Christ. And that high priest once a year. And Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, would go into the Holy of Holies. Not without blood. With the sacrifice. And he would sprinkle that blood on the ark. And everything that was in there. The furniture that was in there. All representing and pointing to Christ. And that high priest would go into the very presence. The Holy of Holies. The place where Zacharias saw the angel and was struck dumb. Because he didn't listen. He questioned God's word. That high priest would go in there with bells on the hem. Of his robe so they could hear him walking around in there. With a rope tied around his foot. Because if he didn't do everything just right. In the holy of holies. In that presence of terror. And was struck dead. They could drag him out without somebody having to go in for him. The presence. The presence by which now. We come in a new and living way. The writer of Hebrews says, Christ is that living way. He is that presence. He is the one by whom we have access. We come into this presence of thanksgiving. And the presence of God is the sheer essence of joy. I think we capture that in Psalms 1611. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. Are you experiencing that in your life? I hope you are. And I call you to seek it more. Press on toward the mark of the high calling. In his presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And we can only do that by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? 
It means you got to repent that you are nothing and he is everything. And it's only by him. You've got to cast your all upon him. Come before his presence with thanksgiving. Presence means in front of, before the face. We bring this gratitude into his very presence. First Chronicles 16.11 tells us, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Seek His face continually. Maybe I can illustrate presence another way using things that we understand in this world and then maybe get you to transcend and take it just like with singing. Do you know that if you've ever watched one of these old Ed Sullivan documentaries where the Beatles were first on television? And you would have girls screaming and fainting in their presence. Right? And Michael Jackson the same way. He would come out on stage in his tour and he would just stand there for a full two minutes. And people just falling out. And you think, you know, for some of us were thinking, how is that even possible? These people are so caught up in the worship of image bearers and not the real. They're so caught up in their affection. They're so in love with the person. They take the gifts that these people have and they're so overcome with them that when they're in their actual presence, they're overcome and they faint. If that's true for an unbeliever, in the presence of a sinful, fallen creation. How much more do you think it will be to be in the presence of Him above? You know, Isaiah experienced that. Hezekiah had been a king for 55 years, and he died. And there was a lot of fear because they liked stability. Do you like stability in politics? I don't know if we've ever experienced that, but Hezekiah, there was a lot of stability, 55 years. It was the, it was not Hezekiah, Uzziah, I'm sorry. In uh, Isaiah 6, it says, it, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah said, It's all over for me. I'm done. I am undone. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of glory. By eyes of faith, you can catch a glimpse of that when you read that text and ask God, God, show me your glory. Like Moses desired to see God's glory. This is the presence of that we come in with thanksgiving. It's holy. 
It's revered. It's special. Adam and Eve were separated from that presence by sin. And you were born with that same sin separated from God's presence. Isaiah said in 59 and 2, your sins have separated between you and your God. You see, it's not Adam and Eve's sins that have separated you from this presence and this joy and ultimate satisfaction. It's your sins. Your sins have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. But that presence is restored through repentance and faith. And repentance is not just saying you're sorry. Repentance is a complete transformation of your character and your love and your passion and your life. In Ephesians 2.18, it says, For through him, through Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, to the presence, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. This Jesus Christ who said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Shall find the joy of being in this presence. Are you experiencing the joy of singing with thanksgiving in the presence of God in your life? Come, let us worship and bow down. It's through Christ that we have access to this place. And our final point is an appeal to you to continue in thanksgiving and a warning not to be unthankful. As this Psalm 95 ends, we see actually a shortened form of Psalm 78 that was read that we're going through. These things were written for our examples that we should not do like they did. And he comes, and that's exactly what he says here. He says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. What a blessing it is for you to have this sacred history in front of you that you might learn not to do what they did. What a blessing it is to have that. And the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 3 quotes that same text and uses it as an admonition for you to continue in the faith. So he says today here, if you will hear his voice. Listen, that today is always present tense. He's speaking in this room today. Will you hear his voice? Are you hearing his voice? Are you hearing his voice daily? He speaks by this word 
and by his spirit. He doesn't speak by dreams. He doesn't speak by visions today. He speaks by his spirit and by his word. Will you hear his voice today? You see, to not hear his voice and to walk away from this message today and to just go back to the ruts is unthankfulness. He says, harden not your heart. Don't be obstinate. Don't be stubborn. Don't persist continually in being satisfied with my thoughts and what I'm thinking and what I want to do. Don't harden your heart. All you got to do is harden your heart is to do nothing. God has given you grace so that you might obey Him. And if you have true grace, you will obey Him. And you will follow Him. And you will understand that you have an evil heart of unbelief. That's the warning here. Don't, don't harden your heart. Don't provoke God. They were out there and they said, God can't feed us out here in the wilderness. And we just read today, God sent them so many quail that it covered their camp like dust. And they didn't even have to go hunting. He just dropped them right in their lap. And yet, that should have humbled them. Let me ask you this. What blessings have you had this year in your job, in your family? Any blessings a person that's born of the Spirit receives will humble them. And you'll see, thank you, thank you, thank you. But for these people, it wasn't enough because they did not believe. They did not hear. And they became more and more hardened. And it says God turned them over to their lust. Romans 1. If you reject God as creator and are unthankful toward this great God who's providing everything for you, he'll turn you over to your heart's lust and it will destroy you. That's the warning before you. Don't harden your heart. Remember, sin is deceitful above all things. And again, that word deceit means if you're being deceived, you don't know it. And it's a mercy of God to shake you out of that and say, listen, my son, give ear, pay attention. Today I am speaking. In Hebrews, he goes on in expounding this passage. He said, so exhort one another daily while it is called today. We need daily encouraging, daily instructing, daily rebuking, daily pleading. Daily begging to keep us from the deceitfulness of sin and from being satisfied with this world. He that loves the world, Christ is not in him. You know, it's, it's impossible for me to stand up here, to jump up and down on one leg and to plead with somebody to stop loving the world. It would be like me telling you to exterminate yourself. Because the only thing you know in your life is me and my love and my world and all the stuff. It, it's impossible for me to do that unless, unless God himself come 
and give you something better. And when the Spirit comes and gives you a greater love, a better desire for worship, a better desire for singing, when He comes, that pushes out that love of the world so that you can use this ability to love that God has given you right. Oh, isn't that great, brothers and sisters, that we are being restored to the image of Christ and the ability to love like we ought to? Praise His name. We are partakers of Christ only if we continue in faith. Only if we continue in faith and joy and thankfulness and singing. You see, Father is grieved over those that ignore His word. He says, 40 years long, I was grieved with this generation and said, He's grieved with them. Forty years they wandered out there. He gave them the miracles. He delivered them. And all of this is a picture of your life right now. You're in the 40-year wilderness. You're not going to live forever. There's going to come a day at the end of this wilderness of walking in this life that you're going to stand before the judge of all the earth. Will it be a day when he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or will it be, depart from me, you who work iniquity, into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels? Father is grieved that you ignore his speaking. Don't ignore him. That's unthankfulness. That's the opposite of thankfulness. If you do not hear his voice today, if you do not obey His voice today and every day, He says there's going to come a day when I'm going to swear in my wrath that you will not enter into my rest. You know that even today, unbelievers have a sense of rest and comfort on weekends and holidays. They've got the sense of rest from their labors. They've got the sense of pleasure when they eat. The rewards when they work hard. But there is a rest that awaits the people of God. And we've got the taste of that now. And we've got the promise of it in the future. Blessed be the Spirit that gives us the big view over life to see that our life is 40 years and then we enter into eternal rest, which was a picture when they went into Canaan. They crossed over Jordan, which is death, into the land of Jordan. Nobody lives forever. There's coming a day. This warning comes at the end of the call to worship. And those that know Christ and love Him will hear it and they will obey it. This is the appeal to joyful thanksgiving that can only be performed by faith. Because the end of that commentary in Hebrews, he says, they could not enter in because of unbelief. They could not enter in because of unbelief. So I call you this day to be thankful. I call you this day to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ.
the peace offering is finished. He said that from the cross. It is finished. Once and for all. I pray that the Holy Spirit would enable you to lay hold of Christ by faith. I was 32 before that happened to me. And I thought I was saved. I thought I believed in God. Don't be deceived. Christ said in Mark 16, 16, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believes not shall be damned. Today, will you hear his voice? I pray that you would hear that voice and that you would rejoice in the privileges you have to come, to worship, to sing, to make a, a shout of triumph. We are no longer afraid of death. Christ is raised from the dead. May God bless his word.